people first organizations will win in the future of work. Your only real asset is your people. We, we all, all want, want purpose-driven work. work. HR-led organization is I'm sorry, but leaders don't lead empty desks and empty shop floors. Welcome to the People Strategy Leaders Show. I'm your host, Sri Chalapa, founder and president of Engagedly, and a serial entrepreneur in technology, films, and music. This is where we talk to people leaders, business strategists, and organizational savants about leading in the time of change. What is working, what is not working, and more importantly, what we should be thinking about. Stick around to the end of the show. We will reveal how you can be our next guest. And now, let's engage. Hello, welcome again. This is Sri Chalapa with People Strategy Leaders Podcast. And today I am the honor of having Alpha, uh, who's the CEO and founder of Connect Group, a consulting and coaching company helping her clients build trust, mitigate risks while creating internal awareness for high achievers who, like herself, have used their achievements to deflect from dealing with trauma. Prior to that, she left, she had several leadership roles with Fortune 500 companies such as American Express, Zelle Early Warning Services, which is owned by nation's seven largest banks in product and fraud risk management, including early, early career with GE in India and a brief stint with Bristol-Myers Squibb and Mayo Clinic in brand management and consulting. Um, Kalpa, it's an honor to uh, have you on the show. Thanks for uh, joining me. Thank you so much, Sri. Uh, I so appreciate this platform and uh, inviting me here. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one thing that uh, really intrigued me is, you know, we don't really hear this a lot, uh, at least the guests I have talked to. Uh, you said that trauma shaped your style and your work, and and you, we were talking earlier about shaping 100 million lives in 10 years. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what led you to this path of what you're doing today? Absolutely. And and Sri, I'm going to caveat that by saying some of what we talk about might be triggering for the audience. My intention here is really to share awareness because the awareness is the first step sometimes to becoming conscious and then actually seeking help. So uh, with that said, for me, what that means is I'm a childhood sexual abuse survivor. And I thought, honestly, that was a thing of the past right? I was leading, I was a director at a Fortune 500 company. I was mom of a five-year-old, or maybe he was three at the time. And um, I had recently been promoted um, in in a people leadership role. And my world felt like I was falling apart, right? Because what I didn't realize is that, uh, you know, like I literally, ever since I grew up in India, I moved away from India when I married my husband. And then ever since I've been done, I've been doing great. I started my career, you know, with GE uh, and then Amex. And what I realized in all of that, I was avoiding things. I was avoiding so much of that pain I hadn't even told my husband who was, you know, who had been married for over a decade by then, right? And at, at there was one, and then I was buried in work, right? And one day I left the corporate job without any backup plan. And I had worked till 2 a.m. the night before, right? And and I say that story to say I this is not my only story. A lot of the high achievers, a lot of the place like the we are so. Like there's a tendency in our life to compartmentalize our life, which works okay for balance, the whatever that means to some people, but it doesn't work. 
it except it doesn't work. We are one whole being. So for me, the way I was being like hyper uh, vigilant, you know, control over life or avoiding things or people pleasing, right? Not asking for things, believing in me fully, but looking for that external validation constantly wasn't working, you know, and that yeah. showed up in, in the way I responded to that situation. Yeah. So how, how has it affected your work now? And like, obviously it's given you a sense of purpose and yes. a mission. So can you talk Absolutely. a little bit about that? Yeah. So what that led me down is I worked around that time with an executive coach. And, um, and, uh, and one thing I would say, it's, it's, it's basically, um, I've been so blessed by people that have showed up in my life at the right time. They always say the teacher arrives when you're ready. Right. So, right. Exactly. Um, so for me, my purpose is to impact 100 million lives in 10 years, right? And by that, I mean, is one of the things I learned is average age at which people share their stories about abuse, if they ever shared, is around 52 years. Can you imagine 52 years, right? So the shame and blame and um, you know guilt is so deep because 90% of the time, you know, your abusers, but you just don't. Um, so they could be somebody, a sibling, they could be a caregiver, uh, an extended family member, a teacher, or you name it, or somebody in the priest or chapel or temple or, and, and people once who fall prey, they keep falling prey, right? So my, the way I have turned that into my purpose is I, I consult companies um, or even speak to create awareness about that situation because one in four girls and one in six boys in the U.S., um, they will experience sex sexual abuse before they are 18. That's one of the, you know, key reports there. Uh, in U.S., it's like one in nine minutes, I believe, and in India, it's one in 15 minutes a child is abused, right? So those numbers, if you think about, like, it's roughly conservatively and globally the numbers are very similar like you know one in four adults so if one in four adults are living with some kind of an abuse that they are not sharing till 52 years it's a problem it's a problem mm -hmm. that you're not even sharing with your deepest partners you might be looking outwardly very happy but internally you, you are living in a different world and 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 then the other way I do that is also, you know, create that awareness is when people become aware, sometimes they are in their mid-career um, or sometimes they are, you know, senior leaders and they are looking at their life's purpose and they haven't told their story. So I also help them coach to, to transition where they can just, just finally shift their identities from the shame, blame and guilt to feeling whole. Like in my case, like I didn't have those examples. You know, the only person I knew who had shared probably was Oprah openly, right? And, and I knew some other people, but I don't see, I didn't have those examples, Sri, right? Mm -hmm. So my purpose has become also somewhat is encouraging people in business to, who have all the power to come forward and, and, and show up and share. Because when we focus more on the me too and all the external things, how it's always easy to go after the external, but what if internally also all these problems are happening in our families, our society with our children, and we don't do anything with it. So really encouraging people to claim their power. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, obviously it must be really hard for you to talk through that um, as well, but it's probably also cathartic in some ways to bring that out. And I was, you know, I was thinking about how the, you know, the corporate, environment has changed in the new world of work, if you will, is that you're expected to bring and you're 
there people are encouraged to bring their whole self to work right and and the work is no longer different than life it is part of your life so the work life balance is kind of a misnomer right it's more like work life integration and a lot of companies have taken uh, steps to make sure that they are addressing mental health aspects uh, whether it's through, due to stress or whether due to other issues but in you know like in your case uh, in the in the issues you focus on it's not something that a lot of companies have talked about. So it's very timely in that sense that that is also a big factor in mental health. It's not just having a toxic environment at work. It could be the, you know, the history that you've had uh, as an employee, as an individual that can affect your work because of the mental health impact of that. So are you seeing a lot of companies and leadership uh, now pivoting to some extent that focusing on mental health becoming a major issue uh, or major investment for them as well? So in my observation, um, you know, there are a lot of good things that are happening overall as a society. We, like 10 years ago, this like people wouldn't talk as much about mental health or even if it was there, it's only in the Western, some in US, some parts, like even now in globally, like we are hearing a little bit, right? Especially if not before the pandemic, like at least certainly during the pandemic, everybody has felt it in some shape or form. As far as the investment levels go, unfortunately not. Like, you know, it's it's one of the same, I call this the forefront of the DEI work, right? So in DEI, you saw suddenly like a lot of like putting lipstick on the pink kind of efforts. Um, people are well-meaning intentional, but, you know, when you look at the diversity at the top, that hasn't changed. So yeah. when you talk about investments, it's really like for me, it's like more than spending money. It's real difference, like in terms of who are you promoting? Who are you attracting? Right. So similarly on mental health, um, the three areas I would like to talk you know, one is like the insurance. Right. So, for example, um, insurance coverage, many a times, like mental health is still a challenge, right? Like not everybody has that, uh, you know, nice coverage. Many of the therapists and others, like they probably don't even want to deal with insurance. You end up spending your HSA or other money, like if you're working in, in, an, in an employee situation. Um, I did see some efforts by companies to give mental health, you know, support during pandemic. So that's really, I would acknowledge that many companies are doing that but it's still like falls short of, right? You know, pe people just don't know where to start sometimes. Mm -hmm. The other part, the second part, I would say from a mental health perspective, I talked about my personal trauma, but there are workplace trauma that happens, you know, all the microaggressions, the racism, the sexism, the all the all these day-to-day -day biases, they mansplain, they, they take a toll, right? And people have different identities, right? I am, I'm an Indian woman grown up here. I'm cisgender, like, uh, you know, I look brown, but I can, I, I never had this identity. I'm a person of color, right? Or a survivor. But when you, these, but then some of those pieces, people need to understand. Otherwise, you know, like they, they like, they add another layer where people can completely spiral down, right? So that's that area. I, I unfortunately I don't know that we we deal with in our private lives, but when we show up at work, I don't know that people are aware of what their remarks or you know some biases can impact can impact people, right? So that's second. And then the third one is I think from an investment perspective, like uh, you know there, there are so many other ways like child like I could go on and on, right? But this is more creating uh, infrastructure for working families to be able to show up. Like right now, people are already talking about going back to work as if the back is something like a golden standard that we need to go back to, right? 
Um, so, and particularly, and I mean, I would call out like financial sector in this case, tech, tech companies have probably done a better job, but my financial services, you know, CEOs, I don't know, with the exception of a couple of companies, it's, it's when you set the message, everybody has to be back to work. When you close your branches in some areas during pandemic, which are had it really, are you standing for DEI or, you know, supporting people's mental health? If work, and I'm a product person, right? I, I, at one point I used to relocate people together because in the, you know, collaboration in the spirit of collaboration, but I also saw during pandemic, how people were able to get done, could design, you know, teams, your engineering teams, your product teams, everybody was able to collaborate and they had better work-life balance. So uh, from mental health perspective, I think we are, um, we are, we need to do way more, but I'm optimistic. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm optimistic, at least the, 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 what the pandemic has done is it's broken that myth that like it, it's only not a problem of low wage retail or other workers, right? It's also a problem from the knowledge workers and how can we become more compassionate and see how we can take back our power and, you know, ask for the things that are needed in our lives. Yeah. And I think we're not going back. We're not going back. <laughs> not going back. And it's like I said, it's not some golden standard we need to go back to, you know? <laughs> Um, because we, we waste so much time on commuting, we waste so much time on, uh, you know, chit-chatting that could have been spent. And then some of our best hours of the day are spent at work, probably doing, you know, things that are not necessarily as productive as you would like it to be. Uh, this way, now you can balance your time, you know. And now we work in a global connected environment, so you could actually be working evening hours or morning hours. So there is no reason to expect an, an employee to say, hey, you need to be here from eight to five. And then by the way, you have to go back and then do calls at 10 p.m. with somebody in China or India or, or uh, you know, somewhere in Africa, you know, because people are working in a global environment. So I think uh, it is better for mental health in some ways. In some ways, loneliness can also be a problem, right? When you're working from home, uh, you know, I work from home a lot and I'm traveling right now. So uh, hence my virtual background. But the, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, it does it does it does affect so you have to kind of balance the two like you need to come together for collaboration and really call them as collaboration spaces rather than as an office where you you have to go in every day um now one thing that you mentioned you know uh about this uh, being that whole self and the mental health aspect what advice would you give to leaders uh so who are not only are experiencing themselves but also the ones who are not necessarily as aware of what uh, they should be doing in for their people that they manage and lead. Yeah, so um, two things. I'm gonna give you one, a little bit of a spiritual advice, which is where I am right now. And the other is more practical, right? So spiritually, a lot of the times I believe difficult situations show up in our life because we have a lesson to learn, right? <laughs> So if you are feeling for whatever reason, lonely, disconnected, or, you know, feel like the world is out to get you or something like, um, there is something about some deep self-belief that you have that that energy is getting manifested and people see it. So if you don't believe yourself deeply or trust yourself, and there's a difference in trust versus like narcissistic or some people like completely like, you know, just overconfidence, but it's, I'm talking about the deep trust in that life is God, good, universe has your back and people are doing the best they can with their resources. Um, so take meaning out of your difficult situations and see 
what you can do when you have difficulty to reach out. Maybe it's sometimes it's just simple service, serving somebody based on what you have, your time, money, or energy. Sometimes it can be asking for help, but you have more resources than you realize to, you know, to, to basically take care of you, right? So that's number one. The other is um, helping other people. Like, you know, how if you're a leader and you're showing up in your work or environment, how can how can you be that neutralizer? Hey, because people people have so many things going on, right? And as senior leaders or in mid-career, your your job is not to give people hope, right? Um, or deliver the tough message. Sometimes you don't have a choice with your board, or sometimes you are the CEO and there are certain ways, you know, your company's, you know, benefits financially. Um, just don't forget compassion. Right? Like I'm seeing a lot of layoffs happen and emails and, you know, things. And just think from a perspective, like from your perspective, if you were in that situation as a leader, would you like that? Uh, right. And 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 uh, if any of the leaders are listening to the podcast, right, that's going to be my message. Like, just don't forget the basic humanity and kindness and compassion in when you deal with people. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of uh, going back to acknowledging people who have trauma and like obviously you said the numbers are staggering one out of four and one out of eight or whatever the numbers you said for men i i mean i feel like now as we're talking about mental health at workplaces leaders need to be aware of those aspects of mental health as well not just aspects of loneliness at uh, at working remotely or anything like that you know Yes, yes. So, um, so on that point, um, let me add one more thing there, uh, Shri. So, one in four adults, one in six girls. Uh, sorry, one in four girls and one in six boys in U.S. That's only for childhood sexual abuse. There's something called adverse childhood experiences, right? And which basically there was a study done by CDC and Kaiser um, Permanente, I think like in the early 90s somewhere. And they had done this study on like 17,000 adults, mostly Caucasian like families, middle class, what you would assume. And what they found is the what we call adverse childhood experiences, which is um, your abuse, neglect, or family dysfunction, right? It's very common. It's very common, right? Like, um, I think about 12% of the population has that. 12% um, of the population has no ACEs, means dysfunction, completely function on families, your good childhood, and you don't know abuse, no neglect. But remaining, you know, <laughs> over 80% of the population has some kind of an ACEs. What's remarkable is when you have four or more of the criteria, and I'll put the link to share with the your, with your readers. If you have any kind of abuse, which is physical, mental, or if physical, emotional, or sexual, or abuse, you know, or family dysfunction, somebody is in jail, or somebody, uh, or drug abuse, or mental illness in your family, these mm -hmm. have impacts on your your early childhood experiences have health implications in your brain development. And when I shared that in a leadership forum recently, many people don't know about it. So that, that put, if you have four or more ACEs, it has significantly different health outcomes. I'm not saying it's going to predict you know, your life. Like I, I'm a believer of free will, but you need to be aware. So if you're feeling some kind of, you know, like if you have a high worse health outcomes, just look at your um, you know, talk to your family of origin, like your epigenetics and all the, these things have a real way of, uh, you know, having adverse outcomes. So take care of those things, you know, just 
be aware, you know, because all that history of trauma gets to stop with you. And it's possible, you know, to be able to create better uh, conditions for you. And that really the reason why I'm sharing that is uh, when I learned about my own childhood experiences, Sri, I started having these conversations in my family and I found 50% of my family is survivors or some kind of a trauma. So when I do that work, it gets to stop, not just with me, my son, you know, like, and the trauma could be so that, so the trauma can otherwise continue down the cycle, right? And that's yes. what I mean by breaking the cycle of, you know, that intergenerational trauma that when, if, if this podcast, if people are listening, even if that one person tells to, you know, thousand people tell to one more, there's that multiplier effect that we can, as a society, you know, we can stop this harm. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, I'll just close it out with saying this, that, you know, everything that you talked about, obviously, uh, how is it pertinent to businesses and leaders? It, it is pertinent because it affects your work. It affects how you interact with other people at work. It affects uh, the productivity of the organizations and ultimately uh, the outcomes that businesses want as well. So, so as you're talking about all these different investments companies and leaders need to make, you know, I, I will totally second you that there is an aspect of treating humans as people as humans and not just as numbers of a spreadsheet, uh, but also uh, working, you know, with them to, to make sure that you acknowledge that there are, there could be mental health issues, there could be trauma, and then see how we can help uh, the, the, the entire workforce. Uh, by investing in that and not looking not looking at it as as a additional perk it's not a perk not in my opinion from what i'm hearing from you absolutely absolutely it's it's really big good business you know <laughs> engagement and retention is good business you know when you lose talent you are like 25% of your talent each year right it's not like you're spending all that money like for nothing, right? So it, it's it's absolutely critical, especially like, and, and it really as companies are looking to even sustain, go through the recession and rebound, right? Uh, it's just important. Yeah, yeah. And that's essentially, the, you know, the last thing that I want to mention is how you build a high trust environment because that's when you get the best out of everybody in the organization. Yes. Um, so how you build the, that that itself, I feel like she could be a, another podcast, right? But really in short, I remember I'll share the story and, you know, with the messages. I remember sitting in a calibration meeting like years ago, like probably 50 people in the room and, and I was in mid executive level and on the senior leaders. And, and there was a coach in the room saying, talking, talking about prefrontal cortex and amygdala and how, you know, we respond to, you know, any kind of threat. And when you have trauma, sometimes you are very, reactive right and and they are asking but do you feel like you're in a high trust environment and I can tell you almost like 90% or 95% of the room like raised their hand yes right and me and my boss and I have so much admiration for him at the time we looked at each other and we kind of wondered like neatly but we looked at each other and we said no we didn't raise our hands right and then we felt some of the stares from other people right looking at like us and I can tell you there were, this was very, 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 very low trust environment where we had, even we were looking at like the diversity of the team and there were two really African-Americans in the team and leadership roles in that room full of, you know, however number. And um, and if you're talking about equity and you're sharing numbers and you're, you, you know, you're facing all these things, if you're not transparent as a leadership team, like if you're not surrounding yourself with diverse views and everybody's being the yes man, yes woman, yes, you know, name it, you've got a problem, 
you've got a problem because that's what happens that those companies and I've worked with great brands who who people take leadership lessons when they are in business and then they go down one day right so this is what happens so so that the so that what I would say is how you build high trust is open communication surrounding with diverse you know up teams and with so that people don't feel they have retaliations you know like when yes. when they yeah. and that's that's kind of how leaders can create that it's easier said than done but i i, I believe it's possible <laughs> yeah no, the, the reason i was bringing up the trust part, part is because without trust people are not going to share their mental health yeah. issues either yeah. right and and that's why the trust is important before you can get people to open up and say hey i need help in the organization yeah yeah. yeah. So, um, well, thanks a lot, Kalpa. It's been a pleasure. I could we could keep going on and on, and maybe I need to have you back. Maybe we talk about building high trust uh, organizations. Uh, so definitely, uh, we should uh, definitely have you back in in some time. But I really appreciate you being on this uh, show and sharing your uh, sharing your story and uh, and the well needed advice for all the leadership out there. Thank you so much, Ri. It's it's been a joy being here, um, and um, certainly, look, uh, we could go on and on, and I certainly would love to be back again. And thank you so much for your listeners as well. And I I really would leave with an advice that please reach out. You know, whether you reach out to a friend, uh, a coach, a mentor, um, you know, reach out if you are feeling lonely. Thank you. Until next time. Shri Chalapa here. Thank you so much for listening to the People Strategy Leaders podcast. If you are a successful leader or a people strategist who would like to be on this program, please visit engagedly.com/peoplestrategyleaderspodcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag #peoplestrategyleaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sri Chalapa. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. And thank you to Patrick Ramsey, sound engineer at Kalinga Production Studios, for recording and mixing this show.